This week's episode is brought to you by the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo. There is a very polarizing nature to retailers' websites and apps. They're either really, really developed and established and advanced, or they are pretty low-maintenance, basic, kind of hard to understand why you might download the app so, or use the website versus a different channel. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Melissa, thanks so much for being on the pod. It's so great to have you on. Thanks for having me. So the core of our conversation today is your Connected Retail Report. You just spoke about this yes. at NRF, which is where we are now. Like, literally just spoke about it. Like, you Half spoke, an hour ago. Ran here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's over. very fresh. <laughs> and it's your fourth year doing this research, yes. right? Yes. Okay. And it's kind of your baby. Like, yeah. this is the thing, like, you own. This is one of your big projects. I'm curious because, you know, I've done these research reports before. It's a labor of love. Mm-hmm. You want to be consistent, but you also kind of need to evolve it, right? Make yeah. it new and interesting and align with where the industry is. Mm-hmm. So how have your goals for the research evolved over time? And was there anything in particular you really wanted to accomplish this year that you haven't in the past? I mean, like, where was your head at in formulating the research this year? Yeah, you hit on a really important nuance with the research itself and the questions that we ask our consumers, because I always do want some level of consistency for some of the questions to see how the responses change over time. But I don't want the same survey every year because the industry is really dynamic and consumers are changing their behaviors and their perspectives on what they want from retailers. So I kept a few key questions like which are the preferred channels to shop and some stuff about delivery timing too, what the expectations are there. But other than that, a lot of the questions were new just because this is a really different year than years past given restrictions on stores are completely lifted and have Mm -hmm. been for a while and consumers now feel super comfortable going back. But at the same time, we're seeing higher rates of mobile commerce adoption than ever before. And we have these inflationary pressures that have really been wearing on consumers. And because of that, we put a lot more emphasis on the economic environment questions and Mm -hmm. the role that that plays on consumer shopping behaviors. So those were kind of the big changes we made was taking a really disciplined look at What channels are consumers using and why do they choose each channel at a different time? And then also, what is the impact of the economy on those decisions and just on their brand decisions in general? Right, because there's nuance, not just at a contextual level, like what the needs are, where the consumer's head is at in that moment, Mm -hmm. but the financial element of it, like where they are in terms of being able to spend money, how much or how little, that impacts the approach as well. So you're kind of getting to those nuances, which is really cool. Absolutely. And we certainly saw it reflected in the research too. Mm -hmm. We had so much price sensitivity shining through as a big core theme for what drives channel decisions. It was really interesting to see that. But simultaneously, what was fascinating was consumers did not have lowered expectations of retailers. In fact, they had higher expectations of retailers regardless of the price point. So 71% of consumers in our survey told us that they expect the same experiences of retailers even if they have lower prices. So that was really interesting. And I'm curious, I mean, that phrasing, consistent experience across all channels, I feel like we've been saying that for a long time, Mm -hmm. right? But again, since a lot of this is contextual with like how we live, how we interact with brands as a whole, the benchmark examples that we love and we turn to, 
Has the definition of consistency or like good consistency, quote unquote, has that evolved over time or has it been the same? Like what absolutely needs to be consistent, I guess, is, yeah. is really the core question. I think it has evolved. I think for one thing, they want consistent experiences. They want better experiences everywhere. They want higher quality products regardless of the price. And what was really interesting was they also want a better search experience. So we asked several questions about search results and the search experience. Mm -hmm. And it was 68% of consumers in our survey told us that they choose an online retailer based on the quality of their search results. Wow. Yeah. And also, exactly. And also the vast majority of consumers, I think it was 70% in our survey said that they expect retailers to understand their most complex search queries, which Mm. is wild given what people are typing into a search bar these days, like the level of specificity. But yeah, I mean, consistency is really expected across the whole experience when it comes to shopping. Right. And what I get from that is it's not just about it looking the same or having the same features. It's about the reliability underneath the hood. Exactly. And also just, will you help me complete my mission as efficiently as possible? They are really on this mission. They're very focused. They're well-researched. They know what they're looking for. And that efficiency is super important. We saw that 58% of shoppers prefer a website that is straight to the point and helps them find Mm. what they're looking for versus a website that's fun to browse. So that's a fascinating part to me of the experience that they're really craving is just clarity and efficiency right away. Yeah, which is interesting because I feel like when we use the term experience, there's kind of like the underpinning of like engaging, fun, like more discovery based. Mm -hmm. And like, I guess, like, is there a way to, like, to enable discovery but still be efficient? Like, there has to be some sort of, totally. like, crossroads, right? Totally. I think there absolutely is. I think that's a really good point, though, is our definition of experience and experiential retail doesn't have mm. to mean that it takes five hours and it's immersive. It just has to be a high-quality experience in the sense that it's very efficient. But, yeah, I do think you can balance both, for sure. I think the way you do that is making sure that your website is really visual, it's really aesthetically pleasing, and it's just, for lack of a better term, like, fun to look at. While at the same time, it's quick, it's easy to navigate, you get to what you're looking for very efficiently, despite being beautiful also. Yeah. Are you ready to explore the evolved customer journey where content, community, and commerce converge? At the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo, you'll learn how brands and retailers are embracing new consumer insights, new technologies, and new destinations to create relevant and resonant experiences. Taking place on June 4th through the 6th at McCormick Place in Chicago, the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo will bring some of the brightest minds in the industry together for unique networking and learning opportunities, including keynote speaker, marketing expert, and author of For the Culture, Marcus Collins. Check out the show notes to register today. So to the end, I mean, were there any other takeaways in terms of consumer attitudes, the channels they preferred to shop when? I mean, again, it's so interesting to think about our own behaviors and like where our heads are at in that moment. Like there will be times when I'm on my laptop, like, working. Right. Like, sorry, I'm multitasking. <laughs> and if I decide to research something, I still go to my phone, even though I'm on my laptop. And I'm right. just like, why did I do that exactly? 
And I'm curious if there are any other interesting findings or nuances this year around like the channels being used and why. Yeah. Well, so first and foremost, we had 81% say they prefer to shop at retailers who have both online and physical stores. Mm -hmm. So they want omni-channel. But with respect to the laptop versus the smartphone, we break it down in the report, the percentages of consumers for a given shopping scenario where they prefer to go to their laptop or tablet or to their smartphone. And we even broke down for the smartphone the differences between the mobile app and using the mobile site. Mm. When you combine the stats for the smartphone, whether it's app or site, the smartphone almost always beat out the laptop or tablet. But when you look at them individually, like the laptop site versus the mobile site versus the app, there were quite a few instances where the laptop beat out for the scenario for consumers. Mm. I think what it really comes down to is even if you have that laptop in front of you, your smartphone is just something that now you're so used to having in your hand at all times. It's just kind of intuitive and like lodged in your psyche to reach for it when you want something. I think that's just how consumers are thinking today is it's habitual, it's routinized mm -hmm. more than a laptop is at this point for anything but work. Yeah, it's so interesting. And it kind of leads me to dig a little bit deeper into this idea of consistency and what it means and what retailers need to do. Because again, you want it to somewhat look similar, but each of these channels have something that the others do not. Like there yes. are unique aspects, I guess, that there is an opportunity for retailers to leverage mm -hmm. and embrace and, you know, adapt accordingly, yes, right? Absolutely. So I'm curious, like, where do those opportunities lie? Like kind of based on what consumers were telling you guys. Yeah. Well, when we presented a list of reasons for why a consumer would download a retailer's app, the first reason they said they would was better prices than the website or the store. Okay. The second reason they selected was because they were looking for exclusive benefits there. So like free shipping or styling or some sort of personalized perk that they couldn't get on the website or in a physical store. And then the third reason was around convenience. And they said they just shop that retailer so much that it's more convenient to download the app. When I did the retailer audit, which is the second half of the report, what mm -hmm. I was finding when I was looking at different retailers' apps is a lot of them have really slow download times. Mm -hmm. Like, that's really tricky. A lot of them are extremely basic and don't have those fun, exclusive benefits that consumers are seeking, like the styling services or like gamification, you know, making it more fun and engaging. So those are where I would highlight the biggest opportunities. And especially because we saw that the smartphone is the preferred platform and yet, on average, consumers said they were only using one to three retailer apps. So there's a big gap here for yeah. opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Like consumers want to be using their smartphones specifically for these apps, but they're not inclined to download them just because not many retailers are creating a distinctive reason for why they should. It, usually when they download it, it's because it's already embedded in their habit or their routine and it just makes sense for them. But mm -hmm. there is a huge opportunity for retailers to provide a reason to go there. And right. there are definitely retailers who do a great job of that, especially incentivizing consumers to utilize the app while in stores. But I would love to see more gamification, more driving a sense of community through the app. Yep. Just a lot of different use cases that provide more value, more education, and more fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know, I think it's true religion. I mean, obviously they have a really strong loyalty integration with mm -hmm. their app, but like they're the ones that get first dibs, like when there are new product that. drops yep. or like they have like an archive type model mm -hmm. where it's old designs that are refurbished and updated. And like, the, of course there are limited additions, yep. you know, to those collections, to those items. So 
app users are the ones that get the alerts. Mm-hmm. And I think Crocs is something similar as well as far as access to the product drops, but also content and like inspiration. Mm-hmm. So I think finding those unique areas, you know, of opportunity based on your product and your brand. Totally. Oh, they do like the gibbets customization I too, love that. right? Yeah. Yeah. We featured Mango because they have a lot of fun kind of style quizzes and opportunities cool. for you to swipe right or left on different items that you like. They really kind of gamified it, but also made it really editorial mm-hmm. in nature. We also highlighted Crumble Cookie because they have a cookie journal. So you can be logging why you liked something or why you didn't like it, which I just think is oh my so God, I fun. Love that. Yeah, making little notes to yourself. Oh, the flavor profile wasn't, you know, didn't suit my taste buds. I think that's so fun to be able to circle back and see why you liked a cookie and why you didn't. So those were some, yeah, some very fun examples for us to play around with with apps. So what else did you uncover in this retail audit? Like, what are the key areas that retailers really got right? They really nailed it, and it was. I guess exciting progress year over year. Yeah, I think the biggest reveal was just the fact that there is a very polarizing nature to retailers' websites and apps. They're either really, really developed and established and advanced, or they are pretty low maintenance, basic, kind of hard to understand why you might download the app. So or use the website versus a different channel. So it was interesting to see just kind of that polarizing nature. And I think there could be a happy medium struck, like what we were talking about in the beginning of this conversation of how can you make it engaging, but still get shoppers through their mission as quickly as possible. So that was really interesting to see. It was also eye-opening that so few retailers actually have all three, a brick and mortar store, a website, and an app. Huh. Yeah, and just given that consumers want their retailers to be omni-channel, I know, you know, it costs a lot to have all of those assets and avenues, but it is worth it given what our research said. So that was surprising too. That is interesting. Any specific brands that you want to call out that like did a really stellar job in the audit? I mean, you mentioned Mango as an example for apps, but anything else? Yeah, Zenny Optical for the website just had such a cool way of being able to try on all the glasses with AR. And they also used to have a feature, and I hope they bring it back at some point, where you can co-browse with a sales associate on the website, just all virtually. And they'll give you some advice. They'll tell you what might be best for your face shape. They'll explain like the prescription and how the whole thing will work. But I just, I really felt that their website was so elevated and it made me want glasses even though I don't need them. So, <laughs> I mean, fun. you could get blue light ones. I could, that's true, yeah. that's true. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> it's a fashion statement, really. 100%. That idea of co-browsing yeah. and the power of virtual assistance. Mm kind of connects to, I think, the big topic, not just NRF, you know, over these past few days, but in the retail industry as a whole, which is generative AI, Yes, obviously. <laughs> Couldn't not uh, talk about it. <laughs> like, and it's interesting because we are starting to see the use cases start to pop up. We're starting to see the creative opportunities be revealed. And I'm curious, like, how you're seeing retailers use it. And, like, do consumers, like, even totally understand like how it's being used do they have expectations around it Mm -hmm. because like from a consumer standpoint I feel as if when we say generative AI it's like open AI chat GPT which is a very specific yeah use case case Mm -hmm. right now so like where are consumers heads at yeah and what are retailers doing in this area yeah so consumers are a little bit behind the retail industry when it comes to AI which I don't think is surprising we had a 50-50 split in our survey of consumers saying yes or no they think uh, retailers should use AI to improve 
their models. We had 59% say they understood what generative AI was, mm -hmm. and we had 67% of that 59% say that they worry about the use of generative AI with shopping today. And their main concerns had to do with privacy and personal information, and then also the jeopardization of search results, which that I thought was particularly mm. interesting. They thought generative AI might make the search result output worse rather than better. So what that highlighted to me as an opportunity is that retailers actually need to show the website both ways. Show your consumer this is with generative AI, this is without right. it, kind of a before and after, and say, you know, like if you prefer one shopping experience over the other, you can use the mode that isn't leveraging generative AI. I think once they would see the difference in results, they may be more bought into it, but there's a lot of communication and transparency that really needs to be happening around this because consumers just aren't there yet. And I think there's really no doubt that it does enhance the shopping experience, but there's no doubt from the industry perspective, not necessarily from the consumer perspective. Right, right. So retailers can take that as an opportunity yes. to give the consumer more control exactly. over the experience mm -hmm. and kind of choose their own journey. But like the proof is in the pudding, right? right like I'm exactly. sure like the brand the is ultimately going to benefit yes. from it either 100%. way. Yeah. Yeah, because like I know I've interacted with a few Gen AI driven virtual assistants at the show, mm -hmm. like through kiosks mm -hmm. and, you know, through like web chat functions and like the opportunities are there, but I can yeah. understand why certain shoppers may feel like, oh, like I just want to talk to a person. Like right. or, because it's like the that 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 assumption yeah. of like when you're on the phone, mm -hmm. right? And it's like you're just saying, assistant, assistant <laughs> over and over <laughs> like, again. Get me it's a not, human quickly, yeah, please. It's not quite like yeah. to that extent, but that's what yeah. they expect because that's standard. That's their experience in the past. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think there is a concern and it goes back to like the search results output and just trusting the technology to actually do what it's supposed to do. Whereas there's opportunities to communicate more iteratively with a human is what they're thinking. And, you know, if something isn't being understood completely, they can really clarify if it's a human versus with the technology. But we know that generative AI, you can communicate with, you can have kind of a two-way dialogue with. And yeah. so I think it's really on retailers to demonstrate that. Right. Because when you get into like, oh, you use like language learning models right. and we analyze all of the data yeah. and we learn over time. It, like, it feels like a lot. Like yeah. we're in the industry and sometimes it feels a lot for me. Totally, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like self-driving cars in a lot of ways where it's right. like you're actually safer in a self-driving car but you feel so out of control because you're not, you're not really doing holding the wheel. You're not doing yeah. anything. So I, I think that that's probably the best analogy I can think of is like we need to teach consumers to feel comfortable and trusting of the technology to help mm. versus take away empowerment. That's oh, awesome. And are there any other learnings or findings from the research that really stand out to you? Again, knowing that it's early 2024, there are a lot of exciting trends happening. Any key call-outs that you want to make sure we hit on? Yeah, I mean, we covered loyalty in the survey a bit as well. We saw that quality was the number one driver of loyalty and kind of repeat purchase. And so that just goes back to consumers really not letting the bar drop at all if prices are dropping. So that was a really important thing that we touched on in the report. And I just really loved the clarity of channel decisions that consumers were making. They have a very clear sense in their minds of why they would choose a laptop over a smartphone. 
over from an app versus the mobile site. And I thought that was cool. Like, I feel like consumers just kind of have it down now. Yeah. And they have a different path to purchase for every need or every desire. And it was cool to see that reflected in the research. So I'm excited for people to read it and kind of see that we're really aware of what we're doing when we're buying things. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And have more power over the exactly. decisions ultimately. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And with that, any final closing thoughts, takeaways that you want to make sure? Um, I would just love to see more exciting apps in the future from retailers. 2024, year of the app. Right? That's Let's what make it I happen. Think. Yeah, I, I really, I want to want to download more apps on my phone because I am someone who's like, I no, love that's apps. precious. You yeah. love them? You're yeah. a big app I user. like to organize them, honestly, if we're, <laughs> we're going to break it down. <laughs> the Virgo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I need less clutter and I already have enough apps on my phone and I'm good. You know, I do have all the travel apps. So I think that's an interesting thing. Mm. The hospitality industry, specifically for flight, you, there are always benefits to downloading that app. The, it's always a more convenient experience. So I would love to see more retailers thinking about their apps the same way that the travel industry does. All right. Awesome. So that's the takeaway, folks. Think about your apps <laughs> and, yeah. and loyalty and, yes. and how you make those experiences seamless, consistent, you know, under the hood, but also engaging. Melissa, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, I feel like we could keep chatting. going, but I think I we hit on a lot of the good stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And to all of you, we're going to include a link to the research in the show notes so you can get quick and easy access to those findings. And hopefully they inspire you to give your brand a quick assessment and allows you to invest appropriately in the new year. And of course, if you have any questions for us, comments, ideas that you've seen in the field, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on LinkedIn at Retail Touchpoints. I know Melissa's very active on there as well. And you know, if you're on X and Twitter, we won't judge you. We're there too. Uh, we are at our Touchpoints and we'd love to hear from you. But for now, that's it from us, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.